Hi, this is Patty Scalzo, and I welcome you today to Shear Jeshu, a Bible study program brought to you by the Church Fellowship of Shear Jeshu Christian Tabernacle of Madison, Connecticut. My husband, Pastor Greg Scalzo, is currently teaching an in-depth series on heavenly authority. Recent sermons have focused on the priests and Levites in the Old Testament. Then Pastor went into the book of Hebrews so that we can understand the proper application of the things we studied for today's New Testament church. Let's pick up the Sunday sermon where we left off last time. Certainly God gives different offices, and we'll study that in the New Testament, different offices for ministry, teachers, evangelists, prophets, pastors, etc. And that's for the edifying of the church, to build us up so that we have access to information from the Lord. But each person stands as an individual before God. And the promise is, the better promise, the better contract, is that we have direct relationship to God through Jesus Christ. We don't have to go through any person. And he will teach us on the inside. He will tell us in our hearts. He will show us from his scriptures. His Holy Spirit will testify to us and tell us, yes, this that you've heard from this person, that's true. That's not true. You can turn on the radio and listen to many sermons. And if you are in the Spirit, if you are in fellowship with Jesus, you can know what is of God and what's not of God. You don't need someone to tell you. And you notice one of the characteristics of cults is that they always want to have somebody there. They tell you, don't read the scriptures unless someone is there to tell you what it's all about. You don't need that. The Holy Spirit will touch your heart to say, this, what you've just heard, is correct. That's not correct. It's a special relationship, a direct relationship, not going through the different layers but being an individual where God can come in and dwell and be your personal God, your personal Savior. And it's based upon mercy, the forgiveness of sins. Notice what the writer in Hebrews says in verse 13. In that he says a new covenant. This is in the Old Testament from Jeremiah. He made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And think about it, only a few years after this was written, what happened to all those temple practices? They vanished away. The Romans came in and destroyed the temple. Now, we're not speaking here of replacement theology. Replacement theology, some of your older churches adopted it where they said, well, since we're under the new covenant and the old covenant is fading away, then we become, and they cross level. There's a danger when you cross level. We become the physical people of God, and the Jews then are not the physical people of God any longer. That's replacement theology, and that's not right. Really, if you want to give a label to what we believe, it's fulfillment theology. The New Testament fulfills the Old Testament, and so the old systems, those sacrifices, that Levitical priesthood, it's no longer necessary, and it's vanishing away. Certainly, we're going to see it reestablished at some point, because the scriptures tell us this, Old and New Testament, the temple will be rebuilt. At some point, you'll have your Cohens, your priests, back ministering in the temple area. And Jesus will come back into Israel, and there'll be a temple there when he comes back. 
But we don't need those things. The covenant we have is superior. It's a fulfillment of that does not negate the fact that the physical descendants of Abraham are his physical descendants, that they are promised that land of Israel. It's theirs, that they are the people that have to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord for Jesus Christ to return. It doesn't negate their place in history. But the new covenant is speaking of a new Jerusalem a spiritual tabernacle, a spiritual people called from every nation, tongue, tribe, language, all who could stand in a better place, not needing someone to go before them into a tent in the wilderness because they have Jesus Christ himself as the high priest who went into the tent, the tabernacle of heaven. And he represents us and he sympathizes with our weaknesses and he perfectly makes intercession. He is the perfect mediator for us. Okay, let's continue reading. Let's look at chapter 9, verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle, this is really reviewing what we studied, for a tabernacle was prepared first part, the first part of that tabernacle you first entered in, in which was the lampstand, that's the menorah, the seven-branch menorah, the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary or the holies or the holy place. And behind the second veil, now between the holy place and the most holy place, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer. Now that word there for censer uh, could mean the censer, which was the one that the high priest would take full of burning coals from the altar and go into the, behind the veil in the holiest place, the most holy place on the Day of Atonement. But the word could also be translated as it is in the NIV, the altar of incense. Uh, and I tend to think probably the better translation is the altar of incense. That altar of incense was somehow, it's a little confusing when you read about it, somehow right by the veil. Perhaps the priest would add to the altar outside the veil and somehow it was constructed that the actual incense went up on the other side of the veil in the most holy place before the Lord. The golden altar of incense, and obviously the most important, the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid on all sides with gold, in which was the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, we studied that, and the tablets of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And above it, on the top of that ark, were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this. Now notice, the writer of the book of Hebrews sees all these things as a symbol that the Holy Spirit is using, a illustration, a painting in reality. This actually happened, this is history. But the Lord uses this history that he's given to Israel, this system, to show us something. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest 
while the first tabernacle was still standing. Since no one could go into that room except the high priest, and remember, he's got to make a cloud with that censer so he can't even see the Ark of the Covenant or the presence of God, lest he dies. The system that is set up, the Holy Spirit tells us through this in the scriptures that there's no access under the old covenant into that holy place. No one can go in, only the high priest once a year, then with the shedding of blood, and then he's got to hide himself in there to make atonement on the ark. So if we couldn't go into God's presence under the old covenant, how do we get into the presence of God? By the way, when it says, well, the first tabernacle was still standing, literally it is the first tabernacle still having a place. While that system still had a place with mankind, there's no way to approach God by that system. Verse 9, it was symbolic for the present time. It was a symbol for the present time. You could translate that as the NIV. It was an illustration. You know what the word is in the Greek? Parabole is parable. It was a parable for the present time. As though with the Israelites, God gave us a parable to instruct us in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. It doesn't cleanse the conscience. Ceremonially, they were clean and they were obeying God, but it didn't change the person inside. It did not take the weight of all the sins, the guilt of all that had gone before off the person. It was a temporary fix to allow them to be able to stand in the manifest glory of God but it couldn't change the person. It couldn't take away the guilt for what was done. Verse 10, what did it do? It was concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. It was symbolic for the present time in which or according to which or indicating that they had both gifts, sacrifices offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect. It was concerned with foods and drinks and various washings. By the way, that word there for washings is baptism, various baptisms. And you see the foundation of baptism in Judaism, that baptism comes out of all those ceremonial washings they would do uh, at the laver. The high priest would wash themselves, Aaron's sons wash themselves, uh, and the physical symbolism obviously in the New Testament becomes a tremendous spiritual symbolism that now to enter the presence of God we have to repent and we have to ask the Lord to wash away our sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a Jewish idea that the Lord gave to the people of washing. John the Baptist took it to the fulfillment, the repentance, the washing away of sins and fulfilled in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ. A time imposed until, verse 10, the time of reformation. That word comes from a root word to mean to set right, to set straight, a new order. The time of reformation. There would be a reformation when the old would be changed and we'd have the new, and the new would be better. Verse 11, but Christ came, the old had ceremonies, washings, foods, drinks, fleshly ordinances, things you do in this world to try to show obedience unto God. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater, notice these adjectives, greater, 
and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood his own blood not the blood of bulls and calves his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption not a temporary system right they had to constantly bring when you read leviticus it gets tiring sometimes to read all the different sacrifices they had to bring year-round in a hope of being somewhat able to approach god this is once for all an eternal redemption everlasting redemption an eternal tabernacle with an eternal indestructible high priest who will never die again entering with his own holy blood the blood of the Son of God not the blood of bulls and goats the blood of the Son of God to give us eternal everlasting redemption notice one is temporary the old this is eternal we rejoice that you could join us for the program today and hope that it was a blessing to you we here at Shir Jashub love to receive your notes of encouragement or if you feel led of the Lord to financially support the Bible study outreach of our church, please send all correspondence and donations to Shir Jashub Christian Tabernacle, Post Office Box 518, Branford, Connecticut 06405. Also, if you will be in the area, please join us for Sunday service. Shir Jashub Christian Tabernacle meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the upper room of the Memorial Hall on Meeting House Lane in Madison, Connecticut. Take I-95 to exit 61. Go down to Route 1. Turn right, and at the next light, turn right again. Please join us for our next broadcast of Shear Jeshub.